but it's good to be here with you. One announcement is that uh, we're going to start, I'm going to go this so I'm not spitting on you. Uh, uh, we're going to start actually posting these Sunday schools, and uh, it's going to be a separate podcast called uh, OBPC Lessons. Uh, and, but if you go to obpc.net, uh, olympiabp.net, you have a link for that on the website. So it's not going to feed through the same as our morning service. Uh, it's a separate little podcast, but as simple as just keep clicking subscribe if you, if you download that. Or you can always listen on our website. Is that all that correct? Yes, so that's the plan. Uh, we're going to spend the next few Lord's Day, uh, not few, next several, I should say, Lord's Day is a more precise way of saying it, uh, studying the area of systematic theology called uh, uh, eschatology. And we're going to I'll explain what that is in a couple of minutes. But as we do that, let us pray together as the Lord to bless our time. Father, thank you that we can resume our Sunday school class. We pray that you bless us as we study your word. We pray that you would sanctify us, cause us to be closer to Christ. For us in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be studying the areas of eschatology, and we're going to be using the Westminster Standards to do that. Uh, the, uh, the Confession of Faith, the Larger Catechism, and the uh, Shorter Catechism. And uh, someone might ask, why? Why use the standards to teach on eschatology or anything else for that matter? Why not just use uh, the Bible? Well, the standards are our Confession of Faith. So this is what we say as a church that we believe. So it's good to know what they say. Uh, so since uh, uh, that's what we say we believe, uh, it's become... Uh, common for people to say that they hold to the Westminster standards and not know what's in them, so uh, it's good for us to know what's there. And also, it is uh, the systematic summary of uh, what we believe in certain areas. So it provides a great start and guide for us as we study anything that it talks about. It's not an exhaustive summary. It's a summary of what we believe in certain areas, so it's good for us to use it so it's a good guide and also help us to become uh, familiar with it. A lot of times when we hear the word eschatology, we immediately think of the events surrounding the return of Christ. Some of us might even know the, well, the first thing we think comes to mind is like something like a, the Left Behind series. Uh, you know, the Left Behind series. You know how... Um, Sometimes you have a movie that says based on the true story, right? And they mean by that that the name of the person is the same as in history, but the rest is not. That's what Left Behind series is concerning uh, the doctrine uh, of eschatology uh, there. Uh, in actuality, the uh, eschatology is, the discipline of, of, uh, is a discipline of systematic theology. Now, does everybody understand the term systematic theology? So systematic theology is the study of the Bible in categories. So instead of studying through a book of Ephesians, is to study through the Bible and see, for example, what the Bible says about sin. And putting all that the Bible says about sin in a box. And you label that box homartiology, which is the study of sin. Or all that God says concerning salvation. And not specific author, not specific book, but the Bible as a whole. And you come with a box, and you have all the Bible says in that box. 
and you call that soteriology, the study of salvation. Or that all that the God says about all the Bible says about God, and you put it in that box and you call that box theology proper. So that's what systematic theology is, is the study of the Bible in categories, what the whole Bible says about a particular uh, subject, and we come up with a system of theology. That's why it's systematic uh, uh, theology. So eschatology is a discipline of systematic theology that includes all that the Bible says concerning the moment that from the moment of death of believers and unbelievers to all eternity. So eschatology is not just a study of what's going to happen when Christ comes back, you know, how many years of tribulation, what, are, what charts we can have, and who's going to be you know, caught up in, in heaven, or who is going to be on, whatever it is. That's not just that. It is everything that happens to a human uh, the moment, from the moment of death on. And it's both believer and unbeliever. Are we okay so far? Any questions about what I've said? All right. So what does exactly this study entail? And I listed a 10 areas that we're going to study. I reserve uh, the liberty to add to these as we go on. But eschatology studies why people die. Uh, with the theological reason for death. What happens when people die? Right? Uh, that's also something that eschatology studies that we don't, we're not super familiar with uh, in this. The intermediate state, that is... Between death and the resurrection, what happens to people between their death and the, their resurrection? Heaven and hell are also uh, issues that eschatology studies. Uh, future tribulations, the return of Christ, the resurrection of the righteous, the millennium reign, the resurrection of the unrighteous, and the eternal, the eternal state. This last one is actually what the Bible calls heaven more often than not. We tend to think of heaven as this place where we go once we die as believers. But in the Bible, heaven is more thought of as being where we're going to forever be after the resurrection. Uh, this, this thing we do between death and the resurrection is okay, <laughs> according to the scriptures. is better than not being there. But really what we're looking forward is the eternal state, the physical existence forever in the presence of the Lord. Any questions about the things that I have said? I'm trying to be very careful how I phrase it because I don't want to talk about what I have not said. Right? So, yes, Andrew, anything about what I've said? Did I understand you correctly that you said study of eschatology is the things beyond our death? From death on. From death on. Yes. Are there any exceptions to that? I mean, because I think that eschatology is the end things and there might be someone, someone who haven't died that experience end things, right? Right, so we'll get back to that. So, so there are some exceptions to this idea of it being... Yeah, but probably for us in this room, if we think of it from our death on, it's for probably us, good. Yeah, be. so I'm teaching this room, okay. not some future room. Well, uh, theory could be us, though, if the end came. Yeah, sure. I mean, it just... Yeah. All right, so why study eschatology? Why, why do this, right? Uh, so that we can fight? Probably, um, that's how it's been often done, but that's not really the reason why. So that we can tickle our ears. No, the Bible actually says it's a bad, that's actually a bad reason to study the Bible, to just to find for something new there. So let me suggest, suggest a few reasons why. One is to increase the fear of God in us in light of eternity. Now we, we tend to think of this life now as all there is, even as Christians. And we forget there is eternity to come. 
So it's important for us to think of it in, uh, of life as not ending at death, but going forever, and that should increase the fear of, lo- of the Lord in us. But also to remind us that this life is not all that, that it that is. Uh, the church has lost sight of her identity as, as a sojourning and pilgrim people. And I'm not talking about just you know, aberrant theology like Joel Osteen and his best life now. I think in general we have forgotten that this is not all that is, that we are actually a passing through. We are sojourner, we are pilgrims, and a sojourner, a pilgrim, is going somewhere else. It's this life is living in a tent. We're, we're, a soldier is not really uh, super attached to the moment, the place where he is right now, because he's going somewhere else. Uh, if guys go on a road trip with your family, and usually the dad, is, his goal is to get there, right? I mean, ever ever said, "Dad, I need to go pee." Here's the bottle. You know, and this is, we are, we're not there yet. We need to keep on going. And though that's not necessarily the best approach for road trip, trips, uh, it is kind of the approach for, for life. We're going somewhere, and that's where our eyes are. The Bible talks about that in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12, where Peter says, Beloved, and look where he says, I beg you. This is, he, he's not saying, think, he doesn't think this is something that, you know, it's okay to believe or not, that he's begging. I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and so on. So we study eschatology to remind us that this life is not all that is. There is something else. And that has, really has been the, ho- the hope of the church through the centuries. Not what happens in this life, but in the life to come. And I think even through this COVID thing, a lot of the strife that's going on in the church today is a result of Christians looking for all of life in this life. Right? The, this life becomes all that is important. Therefore, physical well-being becomes all that is important. No, in no other time in the history of the church, physical well-being was the sole criteria for decision-making. As a matter of fact, often was the least important criteria or criterion used to determine how the church should function is whether it was safe or not. Uh, often Christians met knowing that meeting would invariably result in their death. So though physical life is something that we need to be thinking, and health is something we need to be thinking, but we have to remember that this is not all that there is. The, the physical is not all that there is. There's a spiritual as well, and both need to be considered in decision-making in the church. Because right now, Christians seem to be more interested in making this life the best possible life. And we see that also in uh, approach to fitness, in approach to health, in doing everything you can to live as long as you can. And we see that even in the songs sung in church. All the way up to World War II, the main theme of the songs in church was heaven. Uh, every, every hymn would have... Uh, a, 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 a verse, a stanza about heaven, about going to be with Jesus, about eternal life. Now that is a minority in all the hymnals and songbooks of the church. Uh, think of a, 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 a hymn like, It Is Well With My Soul. Remember how, what the, the last, last verse is? 
Now he talks about the comfort that in verse 3 of the forgiveness of sins. But at verse 4, what he's really looking forward is what? Is what? Is when the trump shall resound, right? And the, the, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, and the Lord shall descend. That's the hope. And that's the hope of the church. And we see that shift going away from that. And we, we, we see good hymns about living, living faithfully now, being faithful to the Lord now. But that, that element that we are looking forward to something else is not there in the church. So it's important for us to study these things so that we can refocus ourselves in the life to come. Any questions so far? Right, another reason to study eschatology is to encourage the brethren. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you turn to Ephesians chapter, oh, to First Thessalonians chapter four for a second? In First Thessalonians chapter four, it looks like Paul heard that the uh, the brethren in Thessalonica were struggling to know what to do with the fact that some among them have died. So Paul came through, they preached about the coming of Christ, they thought that Christ was going to come in their own lifetime, and then he didn't. Some of them are dying. What do we do? What happens? And Paul says, well, those that uh, are dead will be brought to life, in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 13, and they'll meet the Lord in the air, and then those that are alive at the time of the coming will be transformed, and so on. And then look at what he says in verse um, 18 of chapter 4. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So he doesn't say fight with one another about all the events around the coming of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say divide the church over the events that, come, uh, that happen around the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says comfort one another with the resurrection of the body. And then he continues, and after speaking about the return of Christ and how some are going to be unprepared, about how the church is going to be prepared for his coming, Paul says, again in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are doing. So grab this truth that Christ is coming. He's coming as a thief in the night for those that don't believe, but he's not coming as a thief in the night for those that believe. They're going to be prepared. Use these words to comfort one another, and then another purpose and to edify, to build up the church of, of Jesus Christ. So we study eschatology to, to encourage the brethren, but also to edify the brethren. We study eschatology to help us live a godly life now. It seems to be contrary to what I said earlier. But we look to the coming of Jesus Christ so that we can live the life that he calls us to live now. Look what he says in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. Paul says, for the grace of God brings salvation, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's what we do now. Right? How? The next word defines how we do that. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. So how do we live righteously right now? Looking forward to a blessed hope of the return of Jesus Christ. So if we study eschatology, we study these future things in order to live a righteous life now. 
the study of eschatology should never take our minds from obeying God now. I remember talking to somebody who had a particular view of eschatology, and he said, well, Christ is coming back tomorrow anyway, so why should I educate my children now? It will be a waste of effort and whatever. Well, if Christ is coming back tomorrow, guess what we do today? We obey him completely. Uh, Luther, again, is, um, is in his table talk, so his notes written by students about him. So if you've ever been a teacher, you know that you have to take what students say about uh, you as, uh, with a grain of salt. But uh, uh, in, in, in the table talk, Luther is asked, if you knew that the Lord would come tomorrow, what would you do today? And he said something, I would plant a tree today. And you might say, oh man, he, maybe he was, he was from the Pacific Northwest or something. But that's not the case. The, the, the students were puzzled. Why, why would you plant a tree? And Luther said, because that's what I was planning on doing today anyway. And what was his point? That whether the Lord comes to the, tomorrow or a thousand years in the future, that fact causes me to live today righteously. So if we knew that God is going to come back tomorrow, if Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, and we're living righteously, today would look no differently than any other day. So we study eschatology in order to, to obey God. Any view of eschatology takes our mind away from now, obeying now is a wrong view. So, in a sense, the study of eschatology should cause us to bring heaven to our lives now. As we think of heaven in the future, we study that, we are consumed by it, we grab that and you bring it to now. Uh, Jonathan Lehman, in, in a book that we studied a couple years ago, The Men Did At Least Let the Nations Rage. Is that the name of the book? Okay. How? Huh? How the Nations Rage. How the Nations Rage is, is a book based on Psalm 2. And he says that uh, each Christian should consider himself, uh, herself as a, uh, a visitor from the future, where we are in heaven, as it were, and we, take, we get into a little time machine and come back and live now as those people who are in heaven. And that's why there's so much opposition, because we're living as someone from a different age. And that's what we do as Christians. Uh, you may have heard the saying that, oh, he's too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. Now, the Bible teaches that, that the more heavenly-minded you, minded you are, the more earthly good you will do. And that's what eschatology helps us to do. Any, any questions before we continue? All right, so we'll start with the cheery subject of death. Because that's uh, where really the study begins. And we're going to study, we'll start with the uh, question 84 of the larger catechism. So WLC is going to be Westminster Larger Catechism. If you have, um, we want to read through the catechism, you can go to uh, bpc.org and you're going to find it uh, there. Uh, you, you received a copy of it during a membership class, if you're a member here, so at some point you had it in your hands um, but if you want to read it, you can go there. Uh, it, the question is, shall all men die? And you go, duh. And men here is inclusive. It is, no, shall all humans die? And the answer is death, being threatened as the wages of sin, it is appointed unto all men once to die, for that all have sinned. 
However, believers in Christ who are alive on the earth at his return will not die, but will be caught up to meet him in the air. So we ask, why do people die? Well, because they get sick or the heart stops beating or the brain stops functioning. Well, yes, those are all true things, but ultimately people die because of original sin. That's what it is. Do you understand that? It's because of the guilt and the pollution, the guilt of that first sin of Adam that we all bear, and then the fact that we're contaminated, that our, our nature is contaminated by that sin, that we die. For the wages of sin is death, Paul says in Romans. So ultimately, it is a spiritual reason that we die, not a physical reason. Sin, original sin, is the, uh, the reason why we die. And I keep on referring to original sin because even uh, a baby who hasn't sinned, at least we can't tell if he hasn't sinned or not, die. Right? We, we know that babies die, and in order for them to die, they must be guilty of sin. And that's true from that original sin, that first sin of Adam. So death being the due punishment because of sin, then people die. But also, notice that death, because death is a result of sin, death is not normal. Do, do, uh, do, do, and I'm using the word normal here. Uh, in very specific, we tend to, we t- well, we sin because we're sinners, so it's normal to sin. But in God's scheme, in God's economy, in the way He created the world, He created the world perfect without sin. So in the original creation, sin is not normal. Death is not normal. That's why we cry when people die. That's why we sorrow and grieve when people die, because something abnormal happened. Something that we were not created to do happened. No, someone died. It's important for us to think of death that way as well. That's not normal. Therefore, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. One of the worst things you can say to somebody is, even if it's a, uh, with a good intentions to the believer, oh, don't worry, he's in a better place now. We don't, have, don't cry, he's in a better place. No, cry. He is in a better place, but you're not. And you miss him. And you miss her. And you're grieving over something that's not normal. So cry. Cry not as the world does, but cry and grieve. Over, over death, because death is not normal. And notice that the Catechism, as an accurate representation of the Scriptures, teaches that there is no such thing as reincarnation. You see, can, you, can you see in the answer, can you find the answer, what, why I'm saying that, that there's no reincarnation? What, is, what element of the answer am I referring to? You have to say it aloud, I don't... Yeah, it says once to die. It's given to men once to die. Not several times to be purified and so on. It's once to die. So there's no such thing as reincarnation. That's it. You die and that's it. And that's what the scriptures say. Hebrews chapter 9 verses 27 and 28 says, And it is, as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. So Christ offered him once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. And it's important also that, that we notice that the New Testament all, often refers to the coming of Christ and the resurrection of the righteous as the ultimate salvation. You know, the, the, the New Testament doesn't use the, salvation, the word salvation as, technical, as technically as we use in theology books. The word salvation is used to talk about the entirety of the Christian journey, including the glorification of the resurrection at the end. And 
Another thing is that the fact that every human dies is evidence that what the Bible says concerning the fall is true. If people didn't die, then we could doubt that what God says concerning the fall of man in Genesis 3 would not be true. But because every human dies, or every human that we've known except for Jesus has died, then it tells us that what Genesis tells us concerning the fall is also true. I know that Elijah and Enoch was taken to heaven, but whatever, whatever happened to them would be the equivalent of, of death, of translation, of becoming one who was able to be in, in heaven. Any questions before we continue? All right. Continuing the cheery, cheery subject of death, and look at question 85 of the larger catechism. Death being the wages of sin, why are not the righteous delivered from death, seeing all their sins are forgiven in Christ? So, if I come to the faith in Christ and be forgiven of all my sins, including original sin, how come I still die? That's the question that's being asked. So it's a good question. That we, if we're thinking theologically, we should be thinking about these things. And the answer is, the righteous shall be delivered from death itself at the return of Christ. And even in death are delivered from the sting and curse of it, so that although they die, yet it is out of God's love to free them perfectly from sin and misery and to make them capable of further communion with Christ in glory, which they then enter upon. There's a passage in Hebrews that says that Christ, that God the Father delivered Jesus from death through death. That it was by dying that he conquered death and no longer was in the grasp of death. And that's how we also conquer death. By dying, we are relieved. We are uh, let go from the grip of death. Christians are delivered from physical death at the resurrection, at the return of Christ, and which is often called our final salvation. Death in the Bible is more than a physical event, though. Death refers to more than just... No, dropping dead. Death is viewed as separation. There's the sting of death is separation from death, and that sting has been removed from the Christian, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your, your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. And that has been removed. But even in death, we are brought closer to God and delivered completely from sin. And that's the subject for the next uh, lesson, the, what happens to people when they die. Whatever our understanding of the Bible is, whatever we understand from the Bible as far as eschatology goes, we can be assured of one thing, that God is in control of the future. And we can be assured that the things He says are going to happen will happen. Any questions as we finish this morning? All right, so let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you did not leave us to figure these things out to ourselves, but you've given us your word. And we pray that as we continue with this, that you give us clarity, enable us to look to you and to Christ and to his return as our blessed hope. For us in Jesus' name, amen.